Welcome into Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. Today's intro will be short because today's podcast is long. We are talking about the thing that everyone in the sports world is talking about. The Last Dance, the documentary from ESPN, an unbelievable undertaking using footage from the 1997-1998 season that has been under lock and key since then and telling stories of that season and, and really the Bulls franchise through that prism, of course, starring Michael Jordan. Joining me to talk about it, one of my best friends, the guy I talk basketball with more than anybody else, Kevin Brown, who, oh, by the way, is also a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN. That's his day job. Uh, just saying that as a disclaimer. Yeah, he works for him, but this was really just a talk between two guys that love hoop, that grew up in the MJ era, coming of age, both of us born in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, and we remember the last three, Pete, don't remember the first, but this is the first time that I've really missed being able to do a sports talk show, and so I kind of wanted to do one. Obviously, Kevin is a talented broadcaster, so he, he fits the bill from that sense, uh, but this is also just like what we would probably do on the phone anyway, and turns out he also had a notebook of things that he's really wanted to debrief and talk about, and so we did. We just dove in. Uh, it's it's a long podcast, but again, what else do you have to do? Happy quarantine. Here's an hour and a half of two dudes who love hoop talking about The Last Dance. Ten-part series. It's over. We're all very sad. Everyone wants to know what they're going to do with their Sunday nights. The correct answer is probably just watch the 30 for 30s that are going to come on on Lance Armstrong and everybody else because now we all just watch sports documentaries on Sunday nights. But, Kevin, when you look back at the 10-part the series, as big of basketball fans as we are, kind of came of age in that era, uh, what, what's like the, the overarching thing that you just can't stop thinking about when you think about The Last Dance? I feel a level of inspiration because I just watched the most competitive person of all time. Like, I felt this way for... For, for a much sadder reason earlier this year when Kobe died. And yeah. every 20 minutes there was a new story about, oh, Kobe was the most insane competitor ever and took 10,000 shots at practice every day and did X and Y. And I just felt like, man, I really want to just maximize my time and read more and just be sharper on my broadcasts and just like the mob mentality term was going around, and I don't know that there's a similar phrase. There's not the MJ mentality. I guess there's be like Mike, but yeah. uh, I just feel like yeah, I, I want to run through a wall and go succeed at everything and make everything in my life personal to me. Like that shelf of books that I haven't read, I just realized I haven't read them. It became personal to me. Like everybody made the pizza <laughs> joke last night. You know, the, that's when it became personal to me when the whatever and. Everybody's made the coronavirus joke. Somebody tell Jordan that the coronavirus said it's better than him. I, I, you know, we've all done that. It's funny. Um, but I just, we all knew Mike was, was this insane of a competitor. It, it just became a running joke by about, I don't know, episode six for me. Like, that's when it became personal. BJ Armstrong. That's when it became personal. Carl Malone. That's when it became personal. Dan Marley. Like, really? Dan Marley was the fuel for this dude? Um... But it became a joke and a cliche because he he was the best at just finding ways to be wired differently, and that that's the main emotion I have. And I, I just I like I want another ten hours of this. Yeah, I'm sad oh, it's for gone. Sure. There, we 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 had ten hours of this, 
And I feel like, man, there was so much more Scotty we could have gone into. Like, really dove into his contract situation. Now, let's go back and let's talk about Scotty's family. And he was one of, what, 10 kids, a dozen kids. Like, we didn't get much at all about Rodman's family. And Rodman had a really, really tough upbringing. Uh, I'm glad we got the Steve Kerr segment in the in the finale, or at least in episode nine. Yeah, I want to talk so about much that more, more later. Like I could I could have done three episodes on Phil Jackson and his Zen Buddhism hippie ways. Yeah, there's got to be like a, at least a four part Phil documentary at some point in the future. Yeah, the thing that the thing that sticks with me specific to Jordan, I think, because there's like there's a storytelling element to this too. That just is someone who tells stories and um, who at some point in the future, like feels like he wants to make a documentary, although God, that's a lot of work. Um, but like those types of stories interest me. Like there, there's praise for Jason Hare somewhere in this podcast that we'll get to, but on Jordan and the bulls and everybody involved, the thing that I think really just sticks with me above all else is that he specifically lived up to the mythology. Like, Everything every person ever told you about Michael Jordan is true. Like there's some of these larger than life figures, and um, I want to say it was Wilbon that was talking about this last night, but it might I have been someone Costas, else. Actually, yes, about, was, yeah, about yeah, Satchel yeah, Paige and Babe Ruth. Yes, like how the yeah, word yeah, exactly. Gets with, with Van Pelt on SportsCenter. Yeah, and so you know he's like you know these are legendary things because we don't have the proof that they actually did them, and you know you hear these stories and you're they sound too big to be true and then all of a sudden it seems like they're not, that, that they just happen. And like with Jordan, we have the video. It all happened. Like the, the flu game, which we now know definitively was the pizza, you know, poisoning game. The original pizza game. As yeah, I like the original. That's, that's funny. Uh, the original pizza gate, uh, you know, the 63-point game against the Celtics when you're coming back off the broken foot, like, you know, the, the six threes and a half, like – one of the things I've done over the last couple of weeks is just went back and watched a ton of these old games in their entirety on YouTube or ESPN has put a bunch of them on their app. And it's just, it's insane to watch in person and try to contextualize it both now and what it meant in the moment. And it's like everybody, that that was another thing that I think was like really interesting about Jordan was that LeBron has gotten a little bit too towards the very end here, but... I think because so many people just wanted to de- to debate everything about LeBron and always compare him to Jordan early on, we robbed ourselves of this. Like everybody knew by '91 that that was the baddest motherfucker that had ever played in the NBA. That you're just like, this dude is something else, and yeah. they they talked about him like that. Um, and obviously, Costas does this amazing job in the '98 Finals of contextualizing everything. But even if you go back. To the the early the first repeat on the pregame shows, Costas had this amazing way of, and this is why he's he's him in the sports casting side of this. But like he had this way in the, these pregame intros of contextualizing everything. But it was it, they understood that they were watching greatness, and I think that appreciation of it then helps contribute to being able to make this type of documentary now. Looking back, and to my original point, the fact that you get the story behind the stories. And it somehow makes it even more unbelievable as you're being told truth. Right. I mean, the way that Magic and Larry speak about him, like when 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 you get Magic and Larry on the side of uh, of legendary 
Like those guys were the larger than life figures before Michael was the larger than life figure. And then they, they soon seem to realize, Oh, this guy is larger than both of us combined. Maybe. Right. Um, I, (laughs) I'm just uh, like watching some of those shots of MJ coming off the bus into the hotel after winning the finals and it's in Utah and, and you just, you can barely move through the sea of all the bulls fans or in Barcelona, like the absolute mania that existed. I've been around some Major League Baseball teams, um, and and I've been around huge players, Steven Strasburg, Bryce Harper, like guys who were either rehabbing or in minor league ball or, or, or were big, big deals, like guys that are some of the biggest players in baseball in what is still one of the most popular sporting leagues in the world. And it's like what a tenth, a twentieth, a fiftieth, a one hundredth of this attention. Yeah, it's, it's, if that, it doesn't even come close. Um, just, just to to see that. I mean, there were some of these moments where there's an overhead shot of the media during just like a random practice in in Michael's final season before the first retirement, and uh, there were there was nothing that any words could say. Those, those pictures, I just felt kind of claustrophobic from how much was around him and from the burden that was on him and from how extraordinarily well he handled all that. Like, I don't well, that's care what that I was much about say, the gambling like, stuff. Like, whatever. Mike Mike gambles a lot. Okay. Yeah. He's He's got more money he's ge- than God. He's got the cash. He's fine. Um, he's competitive enough. You know he's going to win most of that money back because he's Jordan. He doesn't lose in anything. And if he does lose, he's going to keep playing until he beats you. Like, I'm glad we didn't dwell on that. I know people wanted to say, well, this is a Jordan-produced thing, and we washed over the gambling stuff. I don't know. How much really is there? Okay, Jordan was around some unsavory guys. Okay, he gambled. What Like, what else is the guy going to do in his free time? He had no chance. He had no chance right. to do like, the anything else. The way he else. handled that attention is crazy. Like, he actually did about as well as you possibly could. Um, but actually, so reacting to that but also kind of spinning it into a new question was there anything that you wish they went into more because i've only got one thing and i and i it's not even a fair criticism i mean with mike or in the whole documentary the whole well like let me let me let me rephrase okay was there anything because it was ep'd by jordan's people executive produced by jordan's people yeah that you think wasn't like if you're gonna make that statement that oh this is some sanitized version what got sanitized the one thing that stands out for me is the segment with Jordan's refusal to engage in the Senate race in North Carolina and the Republicans buy sneakers to comment because I thought we had a little bit of, of thoughtful dialogue in that time. I mean, we we had President Obama speaking about how, in a sense, how disappointed he was in Jordan's inaction to speak up in that moment. And maybe this is coming off the fact that I've watched the the OJ documentary recently, OJ Made in America, but I think there's a really interesting large conversation to be had about how certain athletes use their fame and their prestige, and particularly after watching the OJ documentary, how certain black athletes either run toward those communities and run toward helping folks in their community and certain athletes do not. I think LeBron has done an amazing job of being a, an educated and uh, like a, 
educated ambassador off the court and a true role model. And, you know, I, I get Mike's point that I didn't know anything about this race and I didn't want to throw myself into something I didn't know about. Yeah, there is another side to that story, which is that you knew if you started to learn about this race, you were going to make this polarizing and lose your fans. I don't know if either way is right or not, but the fact that we have President Obama going on the record about it, and then the topic just kind of went away after a few minutes, that's something I wanted more on. I I thought that was a good 30-minute block of content that was kind of squeezed into five, and I get there was stuff to do, and I get all that, but that was the one moment where I really stepped back and said, I, I wish we, we had gone deeper into this, and I don't want the appearance of sanitization here, because I thought that was an interesting topic worth discussing. Yeah, I, I was intrigued by that topic a lot, and obviously your and I's interest in politics, I think, probably plays a role in that, our personal interests overlap here in a way that a lot of other people would probably be like, this is our escape. Please don't spend 30 minutes on politics. Um, So there's that element of it too, of like, what, what audience are you trying to entertain just from a pure, you know, who is my audience standpoint. But I had also read a little bit more on that. And like that comment, that comment itself in a way is overblown. It was kind of a throwaway comment that um, Sam Smith uh, who wrote forever for the Chicago Tribune, uh, writer of the Jordan Rules, and, and is featured in the documentary? Um, that he he was there for it, and he didn't write anything on it, and a couple of other writers did, and it blew up in this massive way. Um, but it did seem to be like there was a reason he was being asked that, and that that context I think was important too, and was given in the documentary. And it would have been interesting, like you said, to learn more about of what kind of pressure was he truly feeling? You know, his mother, I think, talked a little bit in the doc about that. And, you know, what did she have more thoughts on that? Because she seemed to be someone who was quite involved um, and, and knowledgeable in those areas. And, you know, for all the things that that Jordan clearly trusted mom on, like, why don't I just listen to mom? Like, hey, the white guy, the Republican He's a really bad racist. And the other guy's trying to be the first black senator in North Carolina probably ever. Uh, just say say some things. And I also thought it was interesting, in fairness to Jordan, like he apparently donated a significant amount of money to that race. Right. But what matters more, Michael Jordan's voice or Michael Jordan's money? And in that case, it's clearly the voice. I think that's what Obama was speaking to. Yeah. Um, and again, also, it's his choice. It, I don't know if it makes it wrong. Right. It, but I just I wanted that explored a little more. What what obligation does he have because he's him sure. to do that? And is sure. that a fair burden? I think that is you're going to get a, a lot of thoughtful people give a lot of different answers on that. Yeah, it would have been, by the way, an incredible moment for Hare to whip out the iPad and say, "Hey, here's what Obama said." That would have been a <laughs> that would have been, been the ultimate iPad trick. drop. Yeah, you it think Jordan would have cackled at Obama. <laughs> Yeah, he probably would have been like, uh, yeah, I don't like that this, guy now. This is when it became yeah. personal for me. <laughs> right. And Michael, I decided to build a mansion on the grounds of the upcoming Obama presidential library. <laughs> That'd be pretty, uh, that would have been a, a, an interesting one. It also probably would have cost Harris, you know, the rest of the interviews. So probably smart. Um, I will say the one topic, and again, this is not fair criticism, and it's not even criticism because is as personal as you get but i i'm interested in learning more is the family side of him for all of the 10 hours we just got his kids make an appearance in the 10th episode merely to say 
Utah's crowd was crazy and mom wouldn't let us go. That's it. That's the extent. For those that don't know, Michael was married for a lot of this time and that marriage ended very, very poorly. And uh, I think the competitive streak probably extended into some of that. Uh, His conquests were not just gambling. Uh, if, if you catch my drift from what I can remember of reading on this topic before, but I, I think that how becoming, even if you don't necessarily interview his ex-wife, which is probably a non-starter for the whole doc, like, could they have at least, and this I think is like fair criticism, fair question, but it also, in Hare's defense, this was a Bulls documentary starring Michael Jordan, not a Michael Jordan documentary, uh, and it's important to remember that, but considering the topic how much his father uh his father's murder affected him was there a point where being a father affected him in any way and could that have been touched on as a way to get some side of that covered it's the the one thing that my wife Brienne asked about after the first three or four nights like are we going to hear about his family are we going to hear about his, his, his wife um the kids coming in episode 10 to only say Utah was crazy was strange. It was almost like an acknowledgement that, hey, we interviewed you guys, but uh, <laughs> right. we really just didn't have any space for you. So here's your moment. I get it. Like, And, and I, I think Harris talked about this and how that's one thing he wanted to get in, but they didn't have time. Like, 10 hours seems like forever, but when you have to do – the Pippin stuff and the Rodman stuff and the Phil stuff and the Steve Kerr stuff and you have to cover six other or five other championship seasons. It's hard. And I, I like all of this comes from a place of love. I thought it was an awesome doc we both did. It was amazingly yeah, entertaining. For sure. We're 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 nitpicking here, but Yeah, and they yeah, had five hundred hours of footage from right. that season to sort of. If through. they had eleven hours, I would say I hope the eleventh hour is about his family. Like how does someone who is that competitive and who is under the the gun that much like how do you exist as an everyday father how does that work what do you do with your kids what do you do with your wife you can't really have date night at a local restaurant um you can't i mean he couldn't do anything we know he just he couldn't leave his hotel room so maybe that's why the marriage blew up because his wife just said i can't just sit in a hotel yeah. room all day until you go to the game i it, it's an interesting topic um, one of, of a few that I would have liked to get into, but yeah, when you talk about Jordan, like this is the big one that just didn't even get a cursory, cursory mention. And I wonder, because I, I know they finished the doc Thursday, Jason said, I wonder yeah, if the kids were 10. a late addition. I wonder if that was next entirely. And then there was a thought of, well, we got to just show that we interviewed him. Let's get him in here somewhere. Cause I'd love to know how long they sat down with the kids for. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows? Um, I'm sure Hare's done a bunch of interviews. The Jalen and Jacoby stuff has been great. Uh, he was great on Reddick's podcast. Yeah. Uh, I've heard and seen some others. So um, maybe if I keep reading, I'll find the answer to that somewhere. But um, he, I mean, he had an impossible task and he did an incredible job with it. What did you make overall of the storytelling style of bouncing back and forth between the two timelines? Because I actually loved it. I thought... It was a really like, and especially after I heard him describe the, like his, the way he thought about it, which is telling the story, like the telling the Chicago Bulls story through the prism of the 1997, 98 season. And it's like, you had to do it this way. 
and to be able to pull it off, I thought was incredible. And I know some people couldn't really keep up, but I, I mean, I thought I thought I was able to keep up, and I thought they did a, a great like, job, I, I, and it made sense when they were bouncing back and forth. I don't want to just be dense about this, but. I don't know if you're not looking at your phone. If you're looking at the screen, it doesn't feel like it's that hard to keep up. There's yeah, a big no, graphic I agree. Where, where the year goes backwards, and uh, and then you go from there. I don't know. It didn't seem that. Yeah, and I felt follow. like a lot of times that I was maybe like, I've just watched enough Tarantino movies where I'm used to nonlinear storytelling. <laughs> I don't maybe. know. It was right there on the screen. I, hey, we're ninety six. I didn't now. find it hard to follow, and I felt like they jumped at the right points. Like I felt like, oh, that needs some explanation. And there went the timeline. Yeah. And you're like, oh, here's the explanation. Because, I mean, what's if the, the alternative is what? A linear storytelling style? And then you yeah. just go from young Jordan to Scotty in college to Rodman in college to Steve Kerr in college. But before that, you have to go back to Phil Jackson in the 60s. And then the last four episodes are on the 97-98 season. The 97-98 season was, was very compelling. It's compelling because you have a team going for a second three-peat, because you have a general manager that said the coach is not coming back, because you have the greatest player of all time saying, I ain't coming back if the coach is coming back. And you have Scotty electing not to have surgery, and you have Dennis Robin going to Vegas. Like, that's a lot of compelling stuff. Um, but the season itself, the games, like the Bulls just rolled. They, they, they were the one seed again. So if we were going to spend the last four episodes just on the season – it feels to me like we'd have an episode on here's all the preseason turmoil and then episode eight and nine, the Bulls roll through the regular season. Like, is that that exciting? This, You know, there were points right. early. The Bulls are off to an eight and seven start. Okay, even if you don't know what happened, the, the drama of the eight and seven start in 97-98 is not that intense. I think the show needed to bounce back and forth. And I thought it was the perfect storytelling style. Yeah, and, and I thought the way they did it kind of a championship at a time when it got to that point was really smart too because yeah. all of those stories kind of had some intriguing elements to it and you know there's there's parallels between the three peats right. of Michael kind of carrying them to the the finish line and, and being completely exhausted and worn out at the end which now we get to the the hot take sports talk radio portion of this podcast oh good which you know I haven't missed doing that much but Miss it a little bit. Uh, was Jerry Krause right? Um, this is this is the second thing. I have a notebook here. This is the second thing I wanted to talk about, actually. Okay. Well, it's I think it's Jerry, not second on my list, but it's, it's pretty close. I think Jerry Krause was mostly right. I don't want to deal in absolutes here. Because, well, let's let actually, let's deal in absolutes for a second, okay? Jerry yeah. Krause was absolutely wrong to say this will be Phil's last year. No Correct. reason to do that. Uh, Jerry Krause was absolutely wrong to be as stubborn as he was. But fiscally, the guy had a point. If you could convince Pippen to take a one-year deal and with Michael and Phil, it was worth a shot, and it was worth not saying to Phil, you're done for reasons of, I don't know, ego. Um, but Scotty was like, Scotty needed to get paid seven years, 18 mil. I know that sounds great, right? We're all in a pandemic. A lot of people are, are, are right. losing their jobs. I don't mean to sugarcoat that, but we all know as sports fans, seven years, 18 mil for Scotty Pippen was ludicrous. And I think he signed for five and 68 million after that with uh, Portland. Yeah. So the guy yeah, was going to get paid. Numbers. 
the Bulls had a bunch of free agents that were going to get paid. Um, Michael's Michael. Michael's the most competitive person ever. Of course he thinks they might have all taken a one-year deal to come back. It was worth a shot. Jerry Krause shouldn't have pushed everyone out the door. But look at how close the Bulls came to losing to Indiana. Look at how close they came. If Scotty can't come back in Game 6 and he doesn't play Game 7, they may well lose the Jazz Series. Um, and then the lockout happens, of course. And I know Jordan cut his finger on a cigar cutter in the lockout. He says he wouldn't have been doing that if they didn't. Right, if he had been Tyler, committed. Because yeah. he the clearly odds are, didn't smoke cigars while yeah, playing basketball. Yeah. Look, the odds are against them winning the title the next year. The odds are also against them winning the title in some of the years they won. But like At some point, this had to go on. And by the way, if Jerry Krause trades Scottie Pippen for, I think it was Tracy McGrady and one other... Or like Ron Mercer. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that too. The Bulls might oh my God. be better in the long run. I'm sorry. Right. I mean, Scotty. If they hadn't run it back in '98, they might have won a couple more. Yeah. If Tracy McGrady turns into Tracy McGrady under, yeah. like he's Scotty Pippen 2.0. Offensively, he's 100%. the same kind of guy. Big playmaking point forward who can get to the rim, who can shoot it. Like, good God, if he had gone to MJ school. I think I think Kraus comes out the worst in this doc because of because of a few reasons. One, all the short jokes slash, slash the Jerry Kraus looks like Danny DeVito's character in Space Jam jokes. <laughs> Two, the fact that it's early on it's established that Phil's the greatest coach ever and Jerry Kraus ran him out of town, which is fair criticism. Uh, three, honestly, I, Jerry wasn't there to defend himself. Like Jerry passed away a couple of years ago and he wasn't there to give his side of the story. There were some interviews with him, but... I, I actually feel a little sympathy for Jerry Krause. He was a guy who who picked fights and went on power trips he did not need to, which is also true of most people in sports management. And he drafted Dennis Rodman, or not drafted Dennis Rodman, he found Dennis Rodman. Um, yeah. He he essentially drafted Scottie Pippen. He traded for him on draft night. But like these were dudes from real small schools. Steve Kerr was a minimum contract guy. Um he traded Oakley, who was MJ's buddy, for Cartwright, and Cartwright was an important piece of those championship teams. Yeah, right move. Drafted Horace Grant, found he, Phil Jackson. He basically rebuilt the the pieces around MJ for the second three-peat. Like it was Jordan and Scotty, and then pretty much a whole new team. Well, he built the first three-peat, too, outside right. of Michael. Right. Like he, he, you know, the Oakley-Cartwright trade is one of the big things that, that does it. It's the Horace Grant piece is, is a huge piece. Um, and getting rid of Doug like, Collins after the Bulls had made the Eastern... Yeah. Finals and knowing it would piss Michael off, yeah, like that stones and it it worked out. Like Jerry Krause was amazing at his job outside of one thing, which cost him at the very end. He is an exceptional evaluator, clearly of talent, of how all that works. But he's not selfless, and in that position, you have to be selfless. You can't want credit, and you look at like Bob Myers for the the Golden State Warriors. Like, that dude is selfless. You know, the reason the Warriors dynasty ends is injury and Kevin Durant wants out. Bob Myers was never going to be the reason that thing ended. Um, But at the same time, like, for Kraus, I got Scottie Pippen's numbers up here. Um, Rodman Rodman played, like, 35 more games in the league. Like, he was 100% right about Rodman. But even with Pippen, Pippen... From 99 to 03, his final year it was 03-04. I'm taking that out because he only played 23 games uh, when he was, he was back with the Bulls and he played like 18 minutes a night. But from 
Uh, he played 322 games from 99 to 03. And he averaged 12 points, five and a half boards, five assists, one and a half steals a game. Not exactly elite numbers. Right. 43% from the field. Like, it, he was right that Pippen's back was becoming an issue. That that statistically um, and production-wise, he was not going to be worth what he got on the open market. It doesn't mean he shouldn't have gotten paid, necessarily. Like, good for Scotty. He deserves that money. He deserved it a long time ago. And Kraus probably, that's the other thing. If Kraus had just said, like, yo, we're going to grip up your contract and pay you in, like, 96, then maybe it's a different story. And there's some goodwill built up. And maybe he's allowed to make some trades and make some moves. But the thing with Phil to, to say, hey, we're done, no matter what, that's killer. Um, and, and if that doesn't happen, then then maybe they have a way. Because, like, ultimately, getting rid of Michael Jordan is the move that can't be explained away. He can be right, right about all of these other things. He's 100% right on Rodman. He's 100% right on Pippen. He's 100% right on, you know, a lot of these dudes. Um, but every time he's wrong is because of his own ego. Horace Grant. There was a, a weird thing with his contract that Kraus screws up, and they, they should have not gotten rid of Horace Grant. But they, he fixes that essentially by getting Rodman. But then he does the thing with Phil. And, you know, Reinsdorf could have just said, like, sorry, Jerry, like, you've done a lot of good stuff, but it's I'm essentially picking you or Michael Jordan, and we're not I'm, – I'm picking Michael Jordan. I mean, that's the weird part of this. I feel like Reinsdorf gets off a little scot-free here. Reinsdorf not, I will say not to people in Chicago because I've talked to a couple of friends who no are doubt. from there and they and, hate that guy. And Michael gets the iPad clip at the end and, and kind of winces when he hears Reinsdorf's situation. But uh, it, it's, it's inconceivable that Reinsdorf wouldn't just step in and say, this is not happening. I don't love owner power trips in general, but when the owner power trip is, I'm deciding Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson stay and you go, that's the time to make an owner power trip, right? Right. Like That's hmm. not even a power trip. Like that's, That is the that's, proper usage of power. That is your organization. It's your job. Make money. Build a winning team. Um, yeah, because that's the other thing. You have thing. the greatest coach, the greatest player ever, and you're like, I, no, I'm, I'm going to just delegate. It's, it's, I know MJ's I salary know. was going to be nuts because like, Michael's salary numbers are not that impressive until like the final couple of years where he started taking one-year deals and just getting these massive raises, kind of like LeBron did for a while. Yeah. Where he's, you know, Jordan was making like $31 million or something like that, which was like more than half the teams in the league were paying like their top three guys combined. It was like insane. Um, but, and they, and they were way over the luxury tax wasn't punitive then. So they're way over the salary cap, but how is it not a financially responsible move to re-sign Michael Jordan? Like the amount of money that Michael Jordan brings your franchise has got to pay for that salary, right? Like it, it, it just seems like not only from a basketball standpoint, an irresponsible move from a PR standpoint, an irresponsible move. It seems like it's a fiscally irresponsible move. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the, the important part of this too, which is that MJ was just taking one year deals. So, you know, at this point after the second three P, you know, MJ doesn't have that much longer in the tank, uh, that much more left in the tank. He's probably going to take another one year deal, bring back Phil, sign Michael to one year deal, build whatever you can around him. Scotty's gone. Robin's gone. Okay. Get another right. team. 
you're still gonna make the playoffs. You're still gonna have a competitive product. You're still gonna have Jordan. You want to start the rebuild? You can wait two years. You can sign Michael to, to two more one-year deals. Maybe then he says, "All right, I'm done." Then you can start the rebuild. Maybe it's two years later than you wanted, but you still got two years of Jordan and two years of the fact that you're a championship competitor because you had Jordan. So the the rush to start the rebuild immediately, like we won, we won, we won. Now we have to start it this second. Like I, it's weird. It's weird to me. I know now we live in a, a titles or tanking world, but. The Bulls would have been smart, I think, to exist in either in what would have been like the middle ground to top tier. I don't think you're going to be the same level of championship competitor with without Scotty, without Dennis, even in a diminished sense. If it was Michael and a bunch of Steve Kerr's and they win 46 games or 48 games, to me, it's still worth a year, two years of that. However many years Michael wants to play on a one-year deal, it is worth that to wait for the rebuild to give yourself as many shots at the prize with Jordan as possible. Maybe you get hot in the playoffs because you have Jordan. Like, I just right. think it would have been a, a better business decision rather than immediately jumping into the rebuild from day one. We have to do this now. We have to get it right immediately. There's no grace period at all. It's like the Marlins. The Marlins win the World Series in 97. Everyone is gone. Let's trade the whole team. Right. Okay, the Marlins, they won again in 03. Everyone else is gone. They have been relevant since. I just, I don't get what the rush was from, from Krause's end other than it was uh, pure ego. Right. You know, we don't want to be the Celtics of the 90s. Well, okay, but you still have Michael Jordan at the peak of his powers. Like, yeah. Bird's last title was what, like 86, 87? Somewhere in there. I think I mean, you know, like, Lakers won that, in 87. Yeah. But, like, you know, the you, you know, don't have a ton of aging guys around Michael. Right. Michael is not Larry with a bad back who can barely right. get out there. It's a major difference at that point. Right. And so there, there's like a couple of, of facets to that that just don't add up. Um, and one comes back to a LeBron comparison, which is actually quite in favor of LeBron. Um, but first, there's the, the concept of just run it back. And Van Pelt was talking about this last night too. Like, it's how basketball works, man. Just you, you play. There are those times where you're playing pickup. You've won five straight, and you're you know you're getting you're about to get your ass kicked because you're dog tired. And that's another element I want to talk about here of like when they've had a shot to win seven, but like you're dog tired, you're out of it. But you you play your game because you've like you've earned that right. And from a just an athlete mentality, that's how. They felt, and that's mm-hmm. how Jordan's going to go to his grave feeling. Like, we didn't get the chance to run it back. And I think is Kraus and, and Reinsdorf owed that to that team to say, yo, we've won six, six of eight. Like, run it back again. And then if it go, and then if they lose, it's like, all right, hey, it's time. And, you know, it's, it's easier to do it that way. Although the, maybe the folklore of Jordan's a little bit different. You know, I, I think the irony is, as mad as Jordan is, it's kind of worked out for him because that indelible right. image is the final shot, so to speak, non-Wizards years uh, there. But the other part of this, too, is, you know, LeBron did the one-year deals in Cleveland year after year and kind of held the franchise hostage. And you can talk about how the player empowerment era is different or whatever, but even with how he, he his approach in L.A. of, like, eventually trying to get Anthony Davis, you're trying to tell me you couldn't convince someone to come play with Michael freaking Jordan? Like, if you're Jerry Krause and you're that good... Like, okay, we got to figure out the Pippen thing. Is MJ really going to leave? Like, if we can keep Phil, 
can we can we sacrifice Pippen because he wants to go get paid and also hey Mike his back's really messed up like trust us I know that's your guy I know you're loyal but like we can get a couple more championships if we let him go or we trade him for for pieces you can't find someone to play with Michael Jordan and like to LeBron's credit, did it always work out? No, but you were able to get guys on the cheap, get guys on discounts. Right. But I don't know how many, like, I would think that you'd be able to get someone, and now I feel like I'm speaking a little bit out of turn because I was nine years old when this was happening and I haven't looked at the free agent list, et cetera, et cetera. It wasn't like I was covering sports back then. But I have to I'm think. I'm tempted, by the way. I've been tempted during this to pull up NBA free agency 1998. Right, and it, it all got screwed up because of the lockout. But, like, also, the, that list is and I Simmons was saying on his podcast that it wasn't a very impressive list, but like maybe you can engineer a trade. You know, someone someone wants to come play with and be you know be Robin to Michael's Batman. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm looking at the roster now. To to this point, you still had Kukoc, right? Who actually was still really good. Yeah, and, and and you still had Harper and like all right, you had Dickie Simpkins, Bill Wennington. Those kinds of yeah. guys are always there. You're still going to have Jordan and a quality coup coach and Harper. You're still going to bring three starters back. Yeah, and Harper was capable of, well, at least early in his career, he was like a 20-point scorer. There's some basketball referencing that I've done that I was surprised. Like, Ron Harper was a really good player. Um, but 9.3 like, points per game in the uh, in the last year with Jordan. 28 minutes a game. Like, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. Like, Third, fourth guy. Here's the thing. Like, was Jordan that much of a dick that, like, nobody wanted to come play with him? And maybe. Like people knew that he was, he would punch a teammate every couple of years or something. Like maybe, I think that that is just maybe like Scott Burrell called every free agent. <laughs> right, he was like, guys, you you I don't want bad this. News. Trust me, you don't want this. But like, guys want to win, and ultimately, like I feel like he could have. You figure it out, and maybe players didn't realize they had that power back then, and maybe they didn't have that power back then because. The executives were all still making more than them, et cetera, et cetera, versus the the power structures flip like it is now. But it is something about LeBron that is impressive as he's moved around, like the ability. And yeah, I think it probably his inflexibility or whatever, you know, costs Cleveland at times the ability to make some bigger moves and do some long term planning, um, especially in Cleveland. But I feel like Miami got hamstrung by that a little bit as well. But he's figured it out and like he did play in eight straight finals and now he's got Anthony Davis and when, when we play basketball again he looks poised to be in the Western Conference finals at least and then we'll see what happens against the Clippers but like you know I, I'm, I didn't want to necessarily turn this into a LeBron Jordan thing but like there are very few people we can talk about in the same breath as Michael and LeBron's one of them and on that front like the idea that someone else is going to end LeBron James's career is not going to happen LeBron will, will play as long as he wants and then he will end on his own terms. I think that is one of the wild parts about this. And when we, we talk about the end of the Bulls, it's it's not fair to not put some of that on Michael. Like, no one wants to say it. It's like this thing that happened to him. He's Michael Jordan. He He's a human of free will that could have played basketball with anyone that would have signed him. Like, and that would have been every single team in the league would have been like, yeah, well, let's figure it out. He decided to retire rather than play for Tim Floyd or for another franchise. This is a decision he made. I'm not saying it was a bad one. I'm not saying he didn't have reasons for it. But, like, we kind of all glaze over that. Like, and that, that would have been a question. I, and I wonder if Hare asked him and it just didn't wind up making the dot because it didn't fit because it was really a, a more about the Bulls. But, like, 
why didn't he go play somewhere else? That just wasn't an option for him, I guess. I I think everything you say there is true, and I think all of it is interesting, and I think it's it's always interesting when a great organization, whether that's, by the way, whether that's sports or that's a great band or an elite company, is broken up or breaks up at the peak of its success. And I'll also say this, not to be the contrarian, but because this is the way my mind works too, that this is all well and good and all interesting and, and all fun to talk about. They also shouldn't lose sight of the fact they won six titles in eight years. Right. Like, they did it right. <laughs> they they nailed it. It was Yeah. That's amazing. They Look, and six. for the storytelling standpoint of it, like, Michael leaving on top adds to his folklore. Like, again, this okay. actually works out. Like, it works out for Jordan's legend more than it works out for Michael, who at 57 years old is still pissed. Right. And, you know, it's interesting when... Um, like when you and I, I think, really came of age as sports fans because we're we're uh, about the same age, and it was right around the time when this was ending. And so, my memories of watching Jordan live at the time were Wizards Jordan, and you just think, "Wow, people are going to remember this." Nobody remembers this. I mean, I know we know it happened, but right, but it's it doesn't a joke. Even get a passing it's, mention in the doc. Yeah. It's just a gag. No one's ever going to talk about that again. I had that image in my head because I was a kid and Michael was playing for the Wizards when I was paying attention and using the All Star game and you thought, oh, is this going to mar his legacy? No, no. Not, if anything, not it actually one bit. Kind it's of as if it never because happened. he still averaged twenty a game and that final season he played all eighty two. Right. And people love to bring that up because it's amazing. It's insane. It's insane. I, the Jordan Lebron thing is going to happen for the rest of time, and that's fine. And. I have nothing new to add about it other than to say that the dude took, what, three years off and then came back and was one of the 30 best guys in the league, maybe, and played all 82 games in his final year. And <laughs> and, that, and that's not even a glimpse in this 10-part doc that's mostly about him. It doesn't even register as, like, one of the 40 most in, insane things he did. Yeah. Le, Costas was right. It, I watched The Sandlot the other night, so that I have this quote in my head. Heroes get remembered. Legends, Legends never, never die. die. Yeah. By the way, great movie, The Sandlot. Yeah, absolutely. Still holds up. Killer film. Um, Good weekend for me. Sandlot and The Last Dance. <laughs> what a quarantine. Uh, the thing that I... Th- the the parallels between the two three-peats, I think, are really interesting. Um and never getting the chance to go to a fourth for a fourth and losing. Um, because I don't think they would have won either one. Like they were so clearly mentally exhausted and that's real. Like I, and I've been thinking about like, who's the one who's going to win four, and like, how do you get there? Like you have to basically know you're awesome and have the mindset. We're not satisfied until we get four. Like we're winning four in a row. Because otherwise you're like to to just focus on one because winning one is exceptionally hard no matter how good you are. Look at the ninety six ninety seven Bulls uh, or the sorry the ninety five ninety six Bulls the seventy two win team. They still lost two games in the finals. Like that was a weird series, and you know that's probably more competitive if George Carl decides to put Gary Payton on MJ earlier. Like who knows? It's at least more competitive. I don't know if the number of games changed, whatever, but like. The the postseason. I was reading a, an article by Tom Haverstrow earlier that compared the 
the sixteen seventeen Warriors, the or yeah, the sixteen seventeen Warriors. The first ones with Durant, whatever year that was. Um and that there's ninety six Bulls. 16, yeah. And there's ninety six Bulls and the Warriors postseason numbers are better. They they lost fewer games, they had a bigger net rating. Um like they were they were more thoroughly dominant in part because that was just a really weak like NBA at that point. It was, a, it was an expansion year. Like part of the reason they win 72 um, is because it's, it's a fairly diluted league, but yes, of course they're also great. Um, but you know, the four in a row thing, like it, it's just so hard to win one. It's impossible almost to win two. It's legendary when you win three and nobody outside of the Islanders in the NHL and Brussels Celtics has ever won four and so I would have loved to see them try just because I want to know what would happen but I I think it kind of again is as much as Jordan the competitor probably stews and still probably wonders like what if especially like if I'm him I actually wonder more about what if I hadn't quit baseball quit and play baseball because he's still at the peak of his powers you know maybe Horace Grant's thing goes a little bit differently and they can bring him back Pippen's still young and fresh like that had a better chance yeah. and that team was still really good in 94 the 95 team wasn't as nearly as good um, what if Michael comes back like at the end of that season and not the right end of the next season right that they very well could could win, you know, and obviously the the Ku coach Pippen thing never happens because Michael's getting that last shot anyway. Um, but it's one of those other things that works out for the folklore because he never never lost. Mm-hmm. Um, once he made the finals and he's six and zero, and everyone just kind of wipes away the the year he comes back after baseball. Um, when the reality is, in hearing the doc you understand why he retired because he was exhausted both times. And I, I don't think I fully understood that before watching this. And part of that's probably no, just age, either. but also I think a lot of people even who live through it have a lot more context now. Th- th- this is one of the things that stuck out to me too, that I never got the context on. And when I mentioned earlier, those shots of 60 credentialed media members swarming Michael in the Bulls practice facility, it was very intentionally structured that way, the episodes, to make you feel his exhaustion. But I'm looking at that shot and going, I wouldn't want to be a part of this. Yeah, this someone's been in those scrums. Those suck as a reporter. <laughs> Never the mind those, being in the middle of it. I'd rather be in a mosh pit at a at a club show. Like, At, at least I'd be there of my own volition. This is just <laughs> you're getting pushed against some sweaty 52-year-olds who... I don't want to nag the 52-year-olds of local TV. That's not that's not nice of me. That's ageist. But you you get it. You just look at the pictures. You could watch the episode on the 93 season and the win over the Suns. You you could watch that as a silent film and say, "Yeah, I get this. I just I see visually why he stepped away." And watching this doc, I leave and one of my takeaways is I don't think anyone will win four in a row in our lifetime because we've seen the the Warriors, who are certainly the most dominant team since those Bulls teams, and I'm including the Shaq, Kobe, Lakers. I think the Warriors are the more dominant team. They won three and five. They won 73 in another year, and Durant got hurt in the finals the other year. They couldn't do it. I don't think these Bulls teams would have done it. I, I don't think 
any human or collective of humans has the mental capacity unless there is such a swift change to where after winning three, Michael returns and Scotty's traded for two young guys who hit their peak at the exact moment and there are a couple of free agents who come on and there's a guy who was a draft pick two years ago that was stashed away in Europe who comes over and averages 16 a game. Like I don't think you do it without a wholesale change and you get in seven new relevant bodies that aren't completely beaten down from this. I, I just It doesn't seem possible because if MJ couldn't do it, I really don't think he would have. And if those Warriors teams couldn't do it, I don't think it's possible. So I think you're right that it adds to the legend because if Jordan tries for four in a row and doesn't get it, it's not a knock against him really. He's still the greatest ever. But he can always say, I went out on top. He can always play the what-if game. That That's there forever because the Wizards thing was so far after the fact. And the first comeback was almost a full two years. And even though they didn't win it that year, he had enough miraculous moments, the double nickel, the game winner against the Hawks, taking them to the conference finals, that you just sit back and you go, well, obviously they would have won if he had another month, another 10 games. Yeah, of course they would have won that year. It's not, it's not even a question. So uh, Is the way that it actually the greatest what if? If they had won one more on the front end? Maybe. Did they win 72 the next year? Probably not. Yeah, that's true. Are are they motivated to the same degree to kick everyone's ass? No, but they might still win it. Yeah, they definitely would still win it. They they're not seventy two and ten, but they probably 60, they win the finals. Six and sixteen. They, they still, right. They, you know, and then the year win. after that, they won sixty nine and then won it in ninety seven. But towards the end of ninety seven, when you're like oh, starting to see yeah. a little bit, and then like yeah, but do, does but Kraus. Do, do they, having already won three, have a little more leeway to make a trade with Pippen or something like that and go like, hey, look, we've already won another three. Like, hey, let's let's flip. Maybe the Ron Mercer, Tracy McGrady thing happens or maybe something else comes up. And at that point, you add what? Six games on the front end of it? You beat the Magic, you, you add six games in the finals. The wear and tear of those six games three years later, I don't think makes the difference. I think it is the philosophical part of it that makes a difference. It's the Krause of it all, frankly. The that I think is like, that, that. I think we've hit on that. That's the quiet what if. What if they get past that magic team? Let's just say that Shaq lands funny on somebody's ankle in game three. Or Horace Grant tweaks, uh, you know, tweaks his elbow and he, he did get hurt in game rebound effectively five whatever. or whatever the the one that they lost. Like he got hurt in that game. He just was able to play relatively through it. Right. But like, let's say something happens and maybe it's a little bit of a fluky victory, but the Bulls are in the finals. MJ's got a couple more weeks of sea legs under him. They beat the Rockets. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, a, that's great, the thing. it's a great what, question. What, what if they beat Orlando and then lose to Houston? Do, do we still just sweep that under the rug? Cause now we can't say he's six and zero in the finals. Like the way we then talk about win, this stuff, I think sometimes then they win seventy two again. By the way, what? I think they still win seventy two if they if he loses to Houston. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, okay, Akeem, we're yeah. coming to murder you. Um, and he like he would have been he would have been pissed at the Sonics in the finals for not being the Rockets. Yeah, right. Like, that's when it became personal. They couldn't there. come back and defend against us. <laughs> right. 
He calls David Stern in the offseason. He's like, listen, I know what the cross-conference scheduling is. Can you just put the Rockets on our schedule like nine times? Yeah, bleep the Cavs. Like three trips to Houston. <laughs> yeah, bleep the Cavs. I want to go to Houston, and I, I would like to murder them on their home floor. Please yeah. send all of, We forfeit our game in Chicago. I would like that to take place in Houston so that I can then mock all of their fans. Um, That's funny. Yeah, that's a great what if. What if they win in 95? Um, by the way, that is a fun game to watch. The Shaq and Penny uh, 95 game where they knock out the Bulls. It's weird because Michael, it's the, like the one time Michael doesn't come through down the stretch. There's like some weird stuff that happens. Misses some shots. He's clearly dog tired. Um, throws a ball away. It's like an out-of-body experience. But Penny Hardway is so freaking good in that game. Oh, man. And it is... It, you understand the what if there of like that was a thing for a long time like oh man what if Penny could just get healthy and like that is the game of why that was a legitimate question like Penny Hardway was so far ahead of his time big point guard could handle like he's Tracy McGrady before Tracy McGrady but probably better like he he could shoot it like Penny makes a bunch of threes in that game the dudes didn't shoot threes back then yeah. Penny's out there at six seven making threes I got to watch that finals back because I, I just have no idea how that collection of dudes with Orlando couldn't compete with Houston. It's not a great Houston team. It was a very good team. They won the yeah. title back to back. It was not Hakeem an elite. was great. Clyde was great. Robert Ory hits the sweep. first of his big shots. I, I know that it was a little early for Orlando, but just the talent. I, I got to watch that back. I wonder if it's like an early OKC thing, the year they made the finals with yeah. Durant and Westbrook and Harden. It was like, yeah, these guys are going to win. And then, oh, well, they're a little young. They don't have it yet. I don't know. Maybe that was the case with Orlando. I'm too young for it. But I'm just watching those highlights and Nick Anderson's on that team and Horace Grant's running up and down the floor. And I'm going, how do these guys not win? Yeah. How young do they not Shaq win two games in the finals? Oh, good God. Wild thing to watch, too. Young, young, quote unquote, slim Shaq. Oh. He was insane athletic he he has a play in that 90 the 95 game in the playoffs game five where he like he gets caught on a switch on pippen and he strips him like like cookies like taps it goes around him dribbles <laughs> the amazing. full length of the court and and just yams it and you're like look at that seven foot small forward out there oh that's Shaq. Like it's, it's pretty wild. Um, what a freak. So we agree they don't win seven titles, and that the best chance for them to do it actually was ninety five and not ninety nine. I think so. I think I think we, you wind back the clock, you give Michael another three weeks to see. I know he was tired by the end, but I think part of it was just not having played enough. You know, I also wonder if if there's if we have modern. Here's here's another what if. A true millennial what if. What if they understood load management back then? Sure. Like what if what if but, when he comes does back Mike, does Michael agree? Or does pro- he just say, Screw your load management, I don't care because I'm playing that, every night? I think that if he's told the science of it, he then yes. Maybe. But this is also a guy who said early in the doc, if I have a ten percent chance of, of Dying right. Like, look, say I still no, here's here's the conversation, Michael. I understand you want to win every single game. If we can get you tapered up correctly, where you're not dead in the playoffs, 
we can win a championship. Now he might go, fuck you. I can do this and play every minute and we're going to win the championship. But if, if he has a better understanding, because the other thing too is Tim Grover for as great as he was for Michael, like he tried to apply the same stuff to Dwayne Wade and he broke Dwayne's body. Like, cause Michael Jordan is, I, I, this is something that like, I kind of wish they had gotten into more, but it would require like, I don't know. It requires like a, a next level examination, but like, Michael breaks every single rule of like human health. You you can't play as much as he did, period. Like he is his numbers and the minutes he put up, whatever, like no wonder he's exhausted, but he shouldn't have been able to do that and not get injured the way he was. He's a physiological marvel. And then you add in the golf, and then you add in the cigars, and then you add in the booze, then you add in the fact that he didn't sleep. Like part of me wonders what could he have done with a healthier lifestyle on that front? But a uh, part of me doesn't because like what else was he supposed to do? But I, oh, yeah, I do I think- I add one thing to that, by the way. Yeah. With my, just to, to wrap up the point I was making, like with modern medicine in 95 and what we know about load management, could they have saved him a little bit and built him up better and gotten him in better shape and conditioned him smarter to make him more fit by the end of the playoffs? Maybe, but the correct answer is they probably just, like, him playing as much as he did was actually probably the best thing for him, and they sure. just were out of time. Seen um, on my end of it. The, the only thing I'll add to that, uh, I worked seven years in minor league baseball. So I know the, the baseball part of this got glossed over a little bit. And, and I know Michael had his own bus, and I'm sure he stayed in the fanciest hotel in every double a city and there are some double a cities where you're you're just like staying in a holiday inn and i'm sure michael found the closest marriott to there so he made that life as palatable as possible it's still a really hard life to be a minor league baseball player to be a minor league baseball anything is is an insane grind when i worked in minor league baseball it was 2011 through 17 it was 144 games in 152 days so I don't know what the Ugh. exact Birmingham schedule was in 94, but I'm sure it was similar. Um, probably a similar number of games, similar number of dates. I think over time, players' um, like mental health and, and easing of schedule restrictions has only gotten better over time. So I can't imagine it was much better in 94. So even if Michael had his own bus and had the nice hotels and, and things were as easy as possible... You still spend all freaking day at the park when you're there, and he was going early and staying late. Yeah, it's it's hot. He's there early to hit. He's there late to hit. You're in Alabama in June and July and August. Like this was a year off from basketball. It's not just a year off in life. It's not just a relaxing year. In ways, it's more of a grind than the NBA because you don't have the accommodations because you're just in minor league cities. So the fact that he did everything on the front end and on the back end and in between his quote-unquote year off was a grueling minor league grind is insane. And uh, every time anyone finishes a baseball season, again, I've done seven minor league seasons, like you get to August and you are just counting down the days and you probably were already counting them down in July and maybe even June if your team's bad enough. 
So just right. to get through that, the, the mental and physical toll that that season takes in your body, day in and day out, the same thing. Every day, no days off. Again, eight days off and 152. Um, to throw that in between an NBA uh, career and the extra workloads he had is uh, just totally unimaginable for me. And I know there's a 30 for 30 Jordan rides the bus, but like, it's really we could good. do an entire episode yeah. on on just the baseball and, and the workload that that throws at you when you've never done it in between the NBA stuff. That, that, that to me is just superhuman. Superhuman. Do you buy that he would have, if he had stuck with it, he would have made the majors? Because I do. Um, I don't know that it would have been great, I, but I... Yeah, I think I shouldn't buy it. Like, having worked in baseball and I'm seeing guy, I shouldn't buy it, but he's MJ, so I will. I will choose to buy it. I think it, to get there at that age, like, it's not exactly the same as Tebow. It's a similar age when, when he, when those two guys started and, and Tebow's just, he's gotten a triple A, but he's, it's he's, 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 go. he's nowhere close. Yeah. Um, I fully believe MJ would have gotten at least a triple A. His speed would have been a serious weapon. If he could become a 12 to 15 home run guy in triple A and he had the strength to do it. Add in the fact that he's Michael freaking Jordan, and if you call him up for two weeks, you're going to sell out every game. Um, that's the cynical part of me that says, yeah, I would have made it, but I think right. I, I, I'm factors. not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, could he have made, legitimately been, even if he's not an everyday starter, even if he's a rotation outfielder who is a matchup, whatever. Like, do you think if he gives it another two years that he winds up with a three-year major league career from 33 to 36? I think if his name's not Michael Jordan, but he still has the work ethic and the skill set and he gives it another couple of years, he could be a guy that goes up and down, probably. It's like yeah. fourth, fifth outfielder in a pinch, which is, again, impossible. Right. Hey, yeah. That in itself <laughs> is incredibly impressive, and I don't think people yeah. should sleep on that. Um, double A's hard. Yeah. And well, that's double the thing. A, is like, double when A's, they in, talk in about they started him in double A, a just because they had to, because the media stuff, like, that's nuts. Like double A should have started in A ball. Yeah, double A is really hard. That's that's extremely high level baseball. Triple A is a higher level, but double A can be more difficult sometimes because again, it could be the stadiums, the settings, the altitude, all that stuff can matter for where you play. But often triple A is just filled with guys that are kind of fringe big leaguers, older guys, veterans. Double A. A lot of the top prospects are there, younger, hungrier guys, maybe better raw stuff. And so there isn't there are plenty of guys that go to double A, hit something, and then go to triple A and and way outperform that. Like the facilities are better in triple A, the food's a little better, the care is a little better. Double A's really hard. To just start in double A is uh it should be suicidal for a career. Yeah. And I know we're getting hey, in the weeds on minor league baseball yeah. levels, but hey, if Tito if Tito Francona says he could have made it, who am I to say that he couldn't? Yeah, but, yeah, you know, he's he's the is. expert. Uh, you got anything else written down on your notepad? Yeah, just two quick things. Yeah, um, one Indiana was damn good. Yes, and we thought that last night. That was a loaded roster. Yeah, and they are one of the many NBA casualties. Just didn't find a spot. Came along. I don't know if it was at the wrong time. They could have won a title. They could have won the, the lockout shortened season. They could have won the title that year. That was they probably their best the chance. 
Yeah, because ran into the shack, Kobe machine. Right. The but that '99 Spurs team was sick. It was, it was, but they could have won East easily. For they sure. should have beaten the Knicks. I was For a sure. Knicks fan at the time. Knicks should not have won that series. Right, the, Knicks, loaded... the Knicks make it. Pacers make it in 2000, then get crushed yeah. by the Lakers because the Lakers were. Yeah, the, I mean, just you know. like one to ten, that was a really damn good Indiana roster. I, I, yeah. I had forgotten about that. And the others just watching. Well, hold on, let me let me go some on the Indi- I want to dive a little deeper on the Indiana thing. Okay, because I, I do I do want to say this. For them to say it came down to that jump ball when there's like five minutes left, like and Reggie's like, "Yeah, we could have gone up five. Like, that's just good myth making right there. Yeah, like <laughs> and everyone just bought it, and like you know, it kind of is not challenging the duck. Like that would have been a great iPad moment. Like give, like I would have loved oh MJ God. to go. Like, uh, no, we had they're they're weak. Even if they win that jump ball, like. That we could get a stop and come back down with the same score and hit a three and it's still tied. Like, yeah, yeah, sure. Even if they go up five, okay. Like, it's five point. It, it's not like they it would have been up twenty. They were up five with five minutes left against Michael freaking Jordan. Sure. Like, uh, that to me was kind of nuts. But that doesn't discount the shot that Kerr hits. And because now, now this is an extra tangent that I'm going to go on, but because I said I was going to go on it earlier and we haven't really hit it yet. I'm so happy that Steve Kerr got that shine last night. And I actually mm. loved it being where it was in the episodes where it kind of got its own moment um, in like this and kind of is one of the lasting memories because it was so late in the documentary. Yeah. I've only dealt with Kerr once personally. It was like a scrum situation, but he even had humanity in that, which is impressive for a coach in those situations when you're like, a reporter that he doesn't know in the outside outskirts of a road scrum. And just like he looks you in the eye and answers your questions and interacts with you in a way that you're like, Oh, you see me as a human being. This is cool. Um, but I, I, everything I've ever heard about Steve Kerr is he's just the best. And you see the glimpse of that last night, the um, one, the deep hurt of his backstory with his father, which is just incredible um, to have someone who had that father to wind up in the NBA and, and everything that goes into that. Um, but then um, like the championship speech is awesome when he's talking Hilarious. about, like, you know, yeah, it, like he's so funny. You just understand why he's considered this beloved teammate in all of these championship yeah. places and why he's been successful at literally everything he's done his entire life because he's smart He's affable. He's great with people, and who wouldn't want to be around that dude and and believe in him in any capacity? And and also, there's the toughness element, which they talk about earlier in the doc, where like he wasn't afraid of Michael. Like he he understood Michael was Michael, but like eventually, I'm me, and screw you. Like I'm not afraid to to go back at you and and earn. You know, I don't think he was calculated in that moment and to try to earn the trust. He just snapped, and to his credit, like. He snapped in a human way, and Michael actually respected that. So I, I was really happy that Kerr got that moment in that doc because I think sometimes because his team is so talented, he actually gets overrated as a coach in a lot of ways. But I think you understand the magic of Kerr when you see this documentary. Right. And if you're smart enough, you can apply it to the Warriors stuff too and why he's been successful at pretty yeah. much everything. The the cynical part of my brain when that started last night, when it became clear we were now zeroing in on the Steve Kerr segment, the cynical part of my brain said for a moment, Steve Kerr was at best the fourth most important guy on those teams. 
are we doing this because he's Steve Kerr, the coach of the Warriors? And about 30 seconds in, you go, I don't care. <laughs> Even right. if we are only giving Kerr the shine because of Steve Kerr post-Bulls and everything Steve Kerr's meant as an analyst to a championship coach, to a, a passionate spokesman for gun control and things he believes in. Even if that's the only reason I'm doing it, I don't care because it's an incredibly compelling story. And it fit in so marvelously at that moment when he hits the shot in game five uh, or game six, I'm sorry. Then you add the speech, which was maybe was the funniest part of the title winning doc. shot. Like, like, yeah. It's not under, right? Like, it wasn't a shot to win a game in the finals. It was a title like, winning he, shot. Yeah. This wasn't just, here's one funny speech of six. Like, this is the guy right. who hit the shot to win the title. He deserved all of that. And uh, it was, I, I mean, the, wor- the word to me is, is, is beautiful. Like, it's beautiful to watch Jordan play. Like, there are different kinds of beauty. But it was, there was just a beautiful feeling for, I think, our collective souls to see how Steve Kerr responded after his father is just horrifically and brutally murdered to see the person he became to see the moments he had like it maybe was the heartwarming moment of all 10 parts of the doc to that end i I, here's micro complaint for documentary makers Mm. um or for the documentary makers here hair obviously the director and the lead on this i thought the setup was brilliant of how they brought that story together of you know for all the ways that michael and Steve bonded, the most high profile being Michael punching Steve in the face. Um, and Steve talking about how like Michael was hard to reach, but like he had his ways. And then Jason asking him, like, did you guys ever talk about your fathers? And Steve says no. And then they go into the backstory of his father. I thought that was yeah. brilliant. I would have loved a question to Michael about if he knew about Kerr's father. Me too, and I'm, my, I, I had the same thought at the time. I, I wonder if if the, the timing didn't work out, if they just interviewed Kerr after the three Jordan ones, or if it's possible. I know, yeah. I know, Hare had like a pretty short window with Michael the third time. Uh, yeah, the, I, se- I, the second time was it was only ninety minutes. Or the second um, time, and okay. he didn't know that he was. I actually read this this article; it's fresh on my mind because I read Richard Deitch's article in the Athletic on this right. today. So there were three Jordan interviews. The first one goes like three hours. The second one is a 90 minutes, and it was supposed to be only two, and then they were able to negotiate a third one that went another three hours right. or so. But still, you know, that that time, it sounds like nothing, or it sounds like a lot of time, but that that is down That's the question really list. I just, I, yeah, that is down the question list. It really isn't a lot of time, but I would have absolutely loved to know, even now, if Michael knows about Kerr's father's backstory and if they have ever had any correspondence about it at any point since then, nevertheless at the time, which they, they didn't per Kerr. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to say, well, he couldn't have known about it in a sense, but like... It's possible. It's possible he couldn't have known about it. Because it happened. It wasn't like it happened while they were teammates. It happened while no. Steve was in college. Guys don't many, necessarily many talk before. about that stuff. Again, Jordan wasn't buddy-buddy with everyone like that. We know that. He probably knew right. Ahmad Rashad's backstory a hell of a lot closer than he knew... Steve. We should talk about Ahmad Rashad. Let's put should that in the back Should we do a Ahmad Rashad segment? Yeah. Let's, do we have do anything else on, on Kerr? No, I just Steve Kerr, hero forever. God yeah, bless Kerr, that man. Kerr for president. The best. Uh, 
Kerr Pop 2020 or Pop yeah. Kerr. I don't care. Um, I get like a moderate shot segment. The fuck? Like <laughs> segment over. Yeah. Like it's amazing because Ahmad Rashad, to his credit, does an outstanding job of giving the information in the games. Like, I have now watched back, and for as much as the announcing team changed year after year after year alongside Marv Albert until Marv got himself in a whole bucket of trouble you can have some fun with on Wikipedia if you want, and Costas called the 98 finals. Uh, But they literally changed that broadcast team every year outside of Ahmad. And... He did, like, there is this amazing clip, and I'm trying to remember for the life of me the game. I want to say it was 96 finals against the Sonics, where Ahmad's like, yeah, we were lifting weights this morning, I PR'd. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, why are you, like, that's a funny side bit. Like, the line is funny, but wh- how are you lifting weights with Michael Jordan the morning before an NBA finals game? Like, imagine... And, like, forget the gender dynamic, but, like, imagine Doris Burke doing that. It's just, it's preposterous that, like, Doris Burke would be hanging out with LeBron James until 11 o'clock at night or whatever. Like, it just, it seems impossible. Or, you know, if you want to take the gender dynamic (laughs) out of it, um, you know, that that Tom Rinaldi, if he's doing the finals. Or, like, even if, because, like, Ahmad, I guess, was... He was fairly young to have that role, so like, good for him. But he and Michael were probably relatively close to the same age. So like, am I and Steph Curry? Like, if I all of a sudden get the finals gig, like, am I going to be hanging out with Steph the night before the game? Like that. That just seems insane. And but like, that's what was happening. Like, Amato Rashad and Michael Jordan were extremely close. They played golf together all the time. Like, they went to dinner together. He's literally like lifting weights with him the day of finals games in that room that Michael had by the locker room where it's like him and the security guards, the other guy in there is a mod Rashad. Like that's wild. And I, if I was like, it's great access, but like I imagine also if I'm the other team and I know that like, I'm not mm. telling that dude Jack, like, cause I'm afraid it's going to get back to Michael and I, he doesn't need an advantage. Like it, it's just insane. This is the interesting part of it to me. Like it had to be an open secret in the league. Oh uh, yeah! Obviously, I mean, the Pacers knew, so right. I'm sure Reggie and Mark Jackson and Jalen are short arming their comments to a mod. I mean, the modern day equivalent I could think of this is Glazer, right? Because Jay Glazer to posts a point, these videos, yeah. Hey, I'm working out with Gronk, right? And then breaks as, as much news on game day as anyone. So yeah, it's just I, you know, it's, that's the closest okay we have. This? Yeah, I mean, are, are you okay with this if you're Fox? Are you okay if you're in? NBC at the time, are you getting the kind of access as Ahmad being journalistically fair on the air? Like, you would never teach this in school. We both went to Syracuse. For sure. No one would ever teach this to us. They would never say, become your source's best friend and then report um, uh, uh, with complete uh, integrity and no bias. You can't, There's implicit bias that's instantly baked in. Uh, does it make it wrong? I guess it's for NBC to decide. It's wild. It's it's. Just I mean, crazy. if I'm NBC though, it's worth it. Like, all right, we'll take a little bit of implicit it. bias for the mounds of access that we are getting. Yeah, because it's it's not like Michael is an, an open book, or right. was at the time. I mean, if you could get that, and and I'm sure Michael knew that Ahmad was living a, a, a dual life of sorts, uh, and was 
probably still a little bit smart with how he said things, at least for the first couple of years. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure that he, Ahmad probably also knew, like, let's not pretend like he's not a really smart yeah. dude and, and knew what he could say and what he couldn't. It's a fascinating relationship. It's another one yeah. of these things I leave going, I want an episode on just MJ and Ahmad. Yeah, for sure. By the way, the other good example from the I'm not telling him Jack department came up, especially in 09, uh, when Stan Van Gundy is coaching the Orlando Magic in the NBA right. Finals against the Lakers and Jeff Van Gundy is on the broadcast. So that's happened a couple of times. And there, but, I mean, to a point there's relationships all over the league. Like if you're, especially from the analysts and you have these production meetings and you know, well, that guy was on that guy's staff and this guy worked with that guy way back when and had a good relationship with them or uh, it, it kind of stuff happens. It's incestuous, uh, you know, on the analyst side of things because it's a lot of former coaches and players who could have been teammates or whatever. But for Ahmad Rashad, who was an athlete himself, he's a—I think he was an NFL wide receiver for yeah. a while. Um, I know he was a college football player; he was really good. I think he had a, a like a decent career in the NFL. To then go into the broadcasting side on the NBA and like become MJ's best friend, like that's Ahmad Rashad was the fourth pick in the uh, in the '72 draft. College football was he really? Wow, yeah. college football Hall of Famer at Oregon. And I, so I guess he was—I guess he was that much older than Michael, but still. Good for a mod. Damn, if he's that much older than Michael and you mm-hmm. see him in that dock and he still looks almost the same age. A mod looks like he's twenty eight. What is he like sixty sixty nine? He's seventy no he's, right now. He's seventy? Impossible. He was born just, in forty nine. We just we just uncovered the most important thing in the documentary. Ahmad Rashad is seventy? How the hell is Ahmad seventy? Ahmad looks what? I mean, r- realistically, if, if someone told you and we didn't know about Ahmad's uh, a history, and work, and you didn't know he worked for Inside Stuff ninety to 04. You just look at Ahmad. How old is he? Forty four. Yeah, <laughs> like fifty two at the oldest. Come on, man. I was giving him late fifties because I figured he was the same age as Michael. It's holy shit. By the way, Ahmad Rashad, Oregon running back, nineteen seventy one, Oregon Ducks quarterback that year, Dan Fouts. Huh. How about that backfield? Well, what do you know? Dan Fouts and Maud Rashad uh-huh. for the Ducks. Quack, quack. All right, what was the other thing in your notebook? I just like looking at Carl Malone and Charles Barkley play basketball. And uh, I don't like the, would the Bulls of 96 have beaten the Warriors of 2018 stuff. That to me is is tired and... Yeah, the 2018 Warriors would have beaten the 64 Celtics because they would shoot threes. Like, <laughs> right. I don't love the comparing of teams across eras. I just like watching Malone and Barkley and just looking at those guys and looking at their bodies and looking at the way they played the game and thinking how the hell would they have existed in the modern NBA because they just look, and maybe it's the long shorts, but you just look at the chiseled, shape that these dudes are in now every ninth man on every team and I, I i don't mean to insult malone and barkley this they just they don't look like they're in the same kind of a plus plus shape as everybody right now and uh they're shooting 14 footers and hooking stuff up and it's just amazing to me to watch that and to think this was not that long ago the way the game was played and i don't doubt that those guys would have made it work now i don't doubt that for a second right they were elite Hall of Fame athletes. They would have figured it out. They would have 
had better training, better weight training, better dieting. They would have been shooting threes, like all that stuff. Is fine. They would have figured it out. They're Malone and Barkley. They're Hall of Famers. But just watching them and just looking at them, I'm just amazed at the athleticism and the physicality of the game and, and, and the ways in which it's changed. And I could just watch highlights of those two dudes four hours doing their thing and shooting 15-footers <laughs> where the ball looks like a pea in their hands. Yeah, so Malone, I mean, Malone was known for his being in physical shape towards the very end, maybe a little bit less. But, you know, he, um, like, he was, but you're right, like, like it was I'm much more of a power to, thing. Again, I'm not trying to, like, say anyone's, like, un, like unfortunately doughy or whatever. Like, right. It's just, well, it's just a different was. body. Malone was 6'9, 250. What is Carl Malone now? If he goes into the league, does he have to be six nine two twenty and shoot threes? I don't know. What? Yeah, what's, what's six nine two fifty fourteen foot jump shooter Carmelone in the NBA today? Well, he's still a, a dominant how, rebounder, and sure. the question is like in his role change, right? But he was also you got to remember like the pick and roll basketball started with the, not started with, but like was perfected by the Utah Jazz. So like he's clearly an effective screener, roll guy. You know, now does he have a lot more pick and pop in his game where he's shooting threes now? I think so. I actually saw him jack up a three somewhere early in the flu game because the shot clock was running down. It did not go in, but like it didn't look hideous, I guess. Yeah. Barkley's super interesting because he's like the offensively, he's Draymond Green esque. Um, like, but he Draymond's bigger a little bit than Barkley height wise. Barkley weighed more. What's but Charles? Chuck six, was five? such. Charles is like six four. It listed as six four. Right. But he was such a dominant athlete. Like his athleticism is off the charts. It's actually like one of the last things I want to talk about with, with mm. Jordan. But like, he led the league in rebounding every year at six four. Like. He figured it out, and I actually wonder if the faster-paced, more up-tempo game would have suited him because he was a good playmaker. He could handle it. Yeah. I think now, if he comes up now, his skills are probably even sharper on the handling side of things. He was he was at four assists a game or better seven times in his career. Yeah, like Charles... In a slower pace. As you said, would have figured it out. I don't know exactly what it would look like. He probably would have shot a lot more threes but like he's so athletic that he would have figured it out the the guys like you're talking about though that i i just like laugh at when i see like bill wennington is not playing in the 2020 nba oh my god like big big stiff center and yeah okay big white guy center but like he had negative athleticism like he was in the league because he was seven feet tall and not that he wasn't a good player for his era like he he was worthy of being in the NBA for his era, but, like, that dude ain't playing now. The, and, and that's, you know, when you talk about the comparisons Any between... Named Bill, who was featured in the doc, <laughs> is just out. Right. Thankfully, Bill Russell was not uh, no. listed in the doc. Cartwright, although, or, yeah. I don't know what Bill Lambeer is in the league yeah. right now. It's an interesting question. He's thrown out of it for being a douche. Um, Car Cartwright would have been interesting. He was a good player when he was younger. A little more mobile. Yeah. But, like, you know, I, I was talking about this on Twitter with someone the other day. Like, how can you say? Because I've said it before. Like, defenses are so much better now, and they're like these games were eighty-two to eighty. How could you say that? I'm like, go look at pace-adjusted numbers. They played at an 
absolute slog pace that was so slow that the NBA changed rules within mm-hmm. the, the next decade from illegal defense and hand checking to, hey, eight seconds across half court, not 10. Get moving. Like a literal rule that said, get going. Um, and so the pace thing is interesting, and, I, and I'd be so fascinated to see how some of that would play out across generations. And obviously, like if you have... Michael Jordan, born not in 1963, or whatever he was, I think 63, um, versus 1983, versus 1993, like how he comes up with his mentality and what skills he chooses to work on change. He's a way better three-point shooter. Also, just the fundamental understanding of, oh, I should not take as many mid-range. I should probably step back a little bit. But, like, also, Michael was such an assassin mid-range. Like, and, and I will say that. Like, so, to, to wrap up the last dance stuff on purely Michael Jordan, the basketball player. The young MJ athleticism holds up in a way that is, like, I, I've seen MJ highlights so many times, but I don't think I really appreciated some of them. Like, the, the dunk contest dunk, where he is, like, almost horizontal to the floor and the rock and come around. Like, that's... How does a human do that? It's sick. And, and some like you watch. I've watched so much more of the young MJ because like I remember ninety six to ninety eight MJ. Like that's when I was old enough to comprehend it. Like yeah, I was super young, but like I watched those games religiously. You know, especially ninety eight. And, and like in my mind, Michael is that bigger, thicker, stronger. Pop, pop, one quick move, jumper, the post game. Like that to me was was Michael Jordan. And seeing this doc, y- you see the young, like, that 63-point game, man, I went back and watched the whole thing. Like, the way he had just relentlessly attacked the rim. The game was different. The The goal now is to attack space and often create it for shooters to shoot threes. The point of the sport in the 80s and, and early 90s especially and MJ gets credit in part for changing this because he determined I can't do this anymore with the frequency I'm going to start shooting jumpers and did it with relentless efficiency of the mid-range stuff. But the point of the sport was to get to the rim. And Michael did it at a level that no one had ever seen before. He was so insanely good. And it's also why big men, you just dump it down to him and all of a sudden you're closer to the rim. Like it made sense with the way people thought about the game, um, why they were so dominant. But... To watch that athleticism and how it holds up to me is just astonishing. And, you know, there's been few athletes in the history of the sport that are like that. And, and like, peak Derrick Rose, Russell Westbrook, um, you know, LeBron's, like, in a weird different category because he's so powerful, like, over almost overwhelms his, you know, explosive athleticism. Um, but, Ru- like, Westbrook, Rose, MJ, Scotty had a little bit of that to him, just... Is, is different and that to me hold, held up but then also what is just stunning to watch time and time again the that again ruthless efficiency of jab step here jumper like the way he was able to create space elevate and just finish time after time after time in the mid-range and, and the simplicity of it when you mm. watch some of the the offensive players that try to create today uh, looking at you, James Harden, with your eight hundred thousand dribbles, it's just it, it's it's it as you said earlier, it's it's beautiful to watch aesthetically. It's an art form. Yeah, as it, as painful as the slow pace, whatever stuff was, 
he himself as an individual performer isolated was a virtuoso aesthetic or aesthetically beautiful performer uh, I, I think it's compelling that the way that Jordan was felled before the first championship was basically the league and specifically the Pistons had just thrown up their hands and said we're out of ideas we're just going to mug him. We got nothing else. <laughs> he beats all of us baseline. He beats everyone baseline forever. Like, has anybody beaten more dudes on the baseline than Jordan for those eight years when he was the most athletic guy in the league? Uh, they, they, there were no, there were no answers within, like, really the rules of the game other than just break the rules of the game. How many guys can you say that for in uh, in a sport? In history, how many people are you just changing the rules for? Like to me, uh, I, I'm I'm with you in that. I know Jordan as the jab step guy. I know him as the guy with that different kind of physicality and and grace. And there was a wow moment for me at the end of the doc when we're going through all the highlights and Jordan late in his career. And then that when that Pearl Jam song kicks in, you see the young Jordan and him just coming out of North Carolina, and you're like, this guy aged 50 years in his. 15 years in the league he's just a baby you forget that four weeks ago we were watching him and he was a baby at carolina and i've never fully appreciated that athletic peak and and to combine that athleticism with his iq and just his fluidity like you can be athletic and not that fluid necessarily you can be straight line athletic you can be fast you can be powerful it doesn't make you the guy who can contort your body in the air and find angles once you've left your feet around guys and over guys and banking in shots and throwing in the ball from weird angles. like That that isn't just natural to quote-unquote athleticism. So the fluidity and the grace combined with the athleticism, combined with the intelligence, and combined with the ultimate FU mentality. I No one has ever had all of those the way that Michael's had them, and probably no one ever will. Yeah, it's it was beauty to watch. It was a lot of fun to watch these episodes. Bravo to Jason Hare and his team uh, mm. for doing it. Uh, and, and just like a fun, a really fun communal experience. Yeah, because we're kind of low on communal experiences now, where we all watch TV shows at you don't different say. times. Everybody watched this together. My dad watched it. I watched it. We, we just all got to talk about it, or we got to talk about it for five weeks straight with each other. And didn't have to say, did you watch last night? I don't want to spoil it for you. Of course you watched last night. Right. We all watched every exactly. night. Exactly. It was really fun. Super fun. and uh, Good job by them pulling it off. And uh, again, like, yeah. disclaimer here, I work for ESPN. I'm an ESPN employee. So, like, if you think everything I said about the doc is just that I'm pumping my own company, okay, that's your right. I get that. But the, the job to pull this off and, and move it up a couple of months and be as seamless as they were, it was awesome. Yeah, I, I, to, to know that they didn't actually finish finish till yep. thursday is um is pretty wild <laughs> um and, and I, I definitely recommend a, a number of the interviews it, it, basically any interview you can find with jason Hare. if you got mm-hmm. time to listen to us two dopes talk about this you got time to listen yeah, no to the kidding. guy that directed it whether it's with jalen and jacoby uh, jj reddick's podcast uh, again there's two of the ones that i've listened to a bunch richard dyche and the athletic some print interviews that were really really good and insightful so 
um, recommend any of those on, on kind of the process because it was it, it was a miracle in a lot of ways uh, that this thing got done the way it did. And now your company is going to pump out a few more docs. I'm excited mm-hmm. about the Lance Armstrong doc. Which look I'm crazy. really excited about the uh, the 98 home run race doc. That's going to be awesome. Uh, and then the Bruce Lee one coming out as well. So uh, we uh, we might do a part two on what you're doing in quarantine. Speaking of your uh, your day job, uh, continue the storyteller series. But we've been going for like an hour and a half, so I figured like this is enough for one podcast. Yeah, it's probably good. And I gotta eat. Yeah, I, I also have to eat. So uh, <laughs> we'll reconvene at a later date. Enjoy dinner. Thank you, I sir. Will. You too. See ya. Bye. That was fun.